0: Amen. The new series is entitled Moses, a story of doubt and deliverance. The opening section is finding God's plan for your life. We're in part four uh, and we're going to be here throughout the for the next like three or four weeks. Uh, We're at a point in Moses's life where he's stuck. He's stuck in the desert. He's stuck in the wilderness and he's been stuck for 40 years. There's no sign he's going to be anything other than what he is, which is this desert nomad. I mean, this smelly shepherd, 80 years old, uh, and that's his life. That's where we catch up with him today. Do you know what it feels like to be stuck? Have you been stuck in traffic? Have you been stuck in a line? Have Have you ever been stuck before? Earlier this week, I got stuck in an elevator. It was one of the most traumatic things that ever happened to me. I I was at a conference in Dallas, and I was staying on the 18th floor, big hotel. And I got, uh, there were some other pastors I knew there, and so they were already in the hot tub. So I decided I would join them. So I got my bathing suit on, got in in the elevator, and I was coming down from floor 18. And when we hit floor 16, has this ever happened to you before? The elevator stopped. And apparently when an elevator stops, it doesn't slow down. It just stops, like clunk. And it's an abrupt stop. And it stopped at floor 16. Clunk. And, and then the power started flickering in the elevator. And, and I've, been, uh, I've been in Disney on the Tower of Terror. How many of you have been on that ride in Disney, the Tower of Terror? The elevator, right? So now the power's flickering, and so I just hold on to the bar, right? And I'm coming up with a plan, but there's no good plan. And, and so then the elevator starts flickering, and then it starts like swaying side to side. And there, and, and then I realized that the um, button that I had pushed was no longer pushed. And so I realized that I have to like go over there and push the button again. But I'm holding on for the fall, right? So with all my courage, I stepped across and pushed the button again and then held on. And the button lit up, but the that shows you what floor you're on was blank. And so this elevator was really confused. So I pushed like the lower lobby button and and then held on. And then the elevator started going up and then down and then up. And it felt like somebody was controlling it to terrify me. Up and down and up and then the, uh, the floor gauge came back on, so it told me that I was on the 16th floor. And I was like, all right, well, now we're making some progress. And it started going down again, but then it was skipping floors. Like, 11, 9. Like I'm like, elevator, do you know where we are? Because you have to figure out when to stop. Do you think we're at 5 and we're at 1? And so I'm holding on, thinking, like, this is really embarrassing to die in a bathing suit. Like, I just really wish that I had... Lots more clothes on. And so I'm holding on, and this thing is going down, wobbling, wobbling. And finally, it like somehow makes its way, not even to the lower lobby that I picked, but the main lobby. And so it opened up, and I like jumped out of there. And there were 10 people waiting in line. And I was like, elevators acting up. See ya. That's all I said. (laughs) Because I want them to enjoy the ride, too. (laughs) So I survived. After being stuck in an elevator... Which means within the past, like, month, I've survived a bear attack and an elevator problem. If you weren't in the sermon where I talked about how I survived a bear attack, I'm not filling you in. You just need to go online and listen to that. Uh, But death-defying, nonetheless. Maybe you know that feeling of being stuck. Being stuck in an elevator is no fun. You want the elevator to just do its job. Being stuck in traffic, no fun. Being stuck in a line, no fun. Moses is stuck in life. Uh, What we will see this week is that God will lead you to the wilderness, to the desert. His plan for you will unfold slower than you'd like at times. And it here's the thing, it will be worth the wait. It will be worth the wait. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, that in your word, you make godly people wait a long time. You make them wait. As you delay... As you make them hope and long and pray and sweat, you show us who you are, you show us who we are. And my prayer is, as we get a glimpse of how your plan unfolds, that we would trust you, that we would follow you more closely than ever. Teach us through the life of Moses, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Open your Bibles to Exodus 2. You're going to 1500 BC. Moses has already killed a man, buried him in the sand tried to start a little uprising, failed, uh, was rejected by his people, fled for the hills. He, he did all that when he was 40. Started a new family, and uh, for the, now that was year zero through 40. Then, from year 40 through 80, he was just a desert roaming shepherd. That's it. Uh, D.L. Moody said God, that Moses spent the first 40 years of his life thinking he was a somebody, second 40 years of his life learning he was a nobody, and then the third 40 years finding out what God can do with a nobody. I love that. Here we are in Exodus 2, 23, with a summary of the period we just ended. It says, During those many days, the king of Egypt died. The people of Egypt groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. The cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew all of this is a summary that was written after the fact. God saw, God knew, God heard, but listen, at the time they didn't know that because God was doing nothing. 40 years of nothing. The deliverer was wandering and fugitive, wanted for murder. The people were enslaved, and it says all these amazing things about God, but guess what? They didn't even know it yet. It was written later. And, uh, and heaven, heaven was doing so much, and yet on earth you saw none of it. And hey, if you're in a waiting period right now, if you're in a desert or a wilderness right now, and you're like, where's the plan, God? Where are you taking me, God? Hey, heaven is full of activity. You just can't see it yet. But here's the summary. So how do I find God's plan for my life? Well, you're going to have to wait, and you'll have to learn it's worth the wait. The first thing you can write down is this. We have to embrace our days in the desert. We're looking into Moses' life, and we're drawing out reflections based on what we see. Okay, so it's not like Moses in the middle of the wilderness stops and turns toward us and gives us a little sermon on the wilderness, but we have to draw out lessons and reflections from what God did in his life. And the one thing that we see here is every child of God is going to have to embrace their days in the desert. You will be sent into the desert, into the wilderness. You will feel like God is doing nothing. Nothing. You will fear he's far away. You'll get impatient, frustrated. You'll feel isolated and humiliated. You'll feel alienated and overlooked and forgotten and washed up or sick or weary or exhausted or trapped or finished or stuck. You'll feel that. And what are you going to do about it? You have to embrace your days in the desert. Here's a picture uh, in front of probably the number one Uh, guess as to where Sinai was. This is the traditional historic site. There's a few. But this is the best guess as to where Sinai was. And there's a shepherd today watching his flock. This is probably very close to what it would have looked like if you could have been there when Moses encountered the burning bush. Now, nothing had happened at Sinai yet. It wasn't a tourist attraction yet. And as you look at that mountain, imagine everything that's about to go down there. I mean, when the people come back and the Ten Commandments are given and the cloud and the thunder come, like imagine everything that's about to happen in that spot. Imagine everything heaven is planning, but none of it has happened yet. There's a smelly old shepherd in the middle of nowhere. He's 80 years old, all right? Um, If you were there... You'd be shocked that this is Moses and that this is where he is. He was in the desert and he had been there for 40 years. What do we learn? Jot this down. Be patient, not hurried. We have to be patient because God's plans will take time to unfold. Looking at a man who God was going to use so mightily, waiting for 40 years, teaches us we have to be patient. We can't hurry God. We have to embrace the time of testing because God will use it to grow our faith and God will use it to show our faith. It's both. It will show your faith that's there and it will grow your, why doesn't God just do it right away? How come he's making me wait? Because he's giving you a chance to show your faith and he's using this to grow your faith. It's both. So you have to be patient, not hurried. We know why God was making Moses wait. We know that. We know that Egypt wasn't ready for judgment. The Canaanites had a little time left on the clock before God judged them. Moses certainly wasn't the leader he needed to be yet. I mean, it's plain as day. There's no guessing. So we have to be patient. Have you, like me, have you made the mistake of trying to rush God's plan before? Have you? Chuck Swindoll last week commented on Moses' life at this point, and his comment was this. God's will, my way. That's what Moses tried. God's will, my way. And maybe you've tried that. Maybe you're trying that right now. God's will, my way. And if you're hurrying God, that's not going to go well. Too many people rush into sexual sin and they don't do it God's way. Too many people rush into financial foolishness and they don't do it God's way. Too many people rush into rage rather than slowly resolving conflict Too many people refuse to wait on God or we refuse to endure hardship patiently and then we ruin everything God has planned. We look at this guy who's waiting for 40 years in the desert and guess what? We realize we better be patient. If we're not patient, we're not gonna find God's plan for our lives. His timing is different. Embrace your days in the desert. How? Be patient. Next, jot this down. Be humble, not haughty. Be humble, not haughty. It says in chapter 3, verse 1 Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father in law, Jethro, the priest, priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now I'm pausing right there in verse 1. And I know you want to get to the burning bush, which is just one verse away. But I'm making you wait because. I really want us to reflect on the reality that there were 40 desert years before God spoke. Part of me just wants to like pause right now and say in 40 years we'll get to verse 2. Like like make you wait for 40 years to feel like Moses before finally, finally. I want you to be like finally because that's what Moses was like. You have to be so humble to understand that God will lead you into a wilderness where he makes you wait. And if the deal you're making with God is, I don't wait for nobody, you know, or if when trouble comes your way, you have this immediate gut response like, well, what did I do to deserve this? If you tell God you really feel like you no longer need to wait for anything You're haughty. You think somehow you have attained to the status of a trial-proof Christianity. And I bet you think you earned that somehow, and all of that is rubbish. You, my friend, will be marched out into the desert and left by a holy God who has deep work to do in you. You. Maybe you earned it, maybe you didn't, but you will be put out there. And when it happens, you have to be humble, not haughty. God's been marching people out into the wilderness since Eden, when Adam and Eve blew it. What did he do? Out of the garden, into the wilderness. I mean, that kind of means humanity is kind of living in the wilderness right now. We're not in the garden of paradise anymore. Israel was forced to wander in the wilderness for how long was that again? Forty years. And see, it was their fault. And God really wants us to understand that there is a correspondence, sometimes, between our choices and the wilderness. One year... You will be in the wilderness for every, what was it? Day you spied out the land without faith. Every day you walk through that promised land without faith, spies, one year you get in the wilderness. There was a correspondence between the lack of faith and the time in the wilderness. So there has to be a humility when we fail. There has to be a humility when, look, think of Caleb. He was stuck in the wilderness and it wasn't even his fault. He had to be humble. David was driven into the wilderness. He lived in caves because the king wanted to kill him, and he was so humble. He could have started a civil war, and he didn't. He was so humble. Paul, after the apostle Paul was saved, he spent 14 years in obscurity. Three of those was in the desert of uh, Arabia. I mean, he was a nobody. Uh, He got saved, and then he was 14 years of nothing. Three years in the wilderness. God will drive you to places of waiting, obscurity, preparation, Jesus himself was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days. God's Son needed to do his time in the wilderness. And you think you're going to get out of it? When the time comes, embrace your days in the desert. Be patient and not hurried. Be humble, not haughty. Don't rush God's plan because he's using the desert to humble you, to teach you patience, to prepare you. And listen, listen, it's worth the wait. It's worth the wait. Embrace your days in the desert, number one. You want to find God's plan for your life? Number two, learn the reap-sow principle. This also comes from reflections on verse one, which means I'm not getting into verse two yet. I'm still making you wait for verse two. Chapter three, verse one, let me read it again. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Show that picture again. Here's the picture again. In many ways, what we're watching here is Moses is reaping what he's sown. If God is allowing Moses to reap what he's sown, uh, you will reap what you've sown too. God will, uh, more often than not, he won't rescue you from the consequences of your choices. I know, I understand that we can celebrate that God often will rescue us from the consequences of our choices. Nobody in this room is living in the full consequences of their sin. Amen for that. No one in this room has gotten everything that their choices have deserved. Praise God for that, all right? But more often than not, he will allow the natural consequences of your choices to flow into your life. The crop you plant will grow up. And we reflect and see that in where Moses is right now. We know that because when God starts talking to Moses, he says, the men who sought your life are now dead. Why would he say that? Because he knew it was on Moses' mind. He was wanted for murder. Maybe it was the family of the Egyptian. Maybe it was the government officials. I don't know. But God really wanted us in his word to know that something of the timeline God was following uh, corresponded to the consequences of Moses' choices. The people who wanted him dead were still alive, still alive, still alive, still alive. alive, Now they're dead. So somehow, the consequences of Moses' choices are playing into the timeline here. We have to learn the reap-sow principle. We will reap what we sow. If, If you decide to plunge ahead, do it your own way, force it to work, forget the warnings, you will reap what you've sown. Moses tried to start it on his own. He had no authority from God yet to do that. He tried to reconcile the Israelites. He had no calling yet. He he just sprang into action and it blew up. And Forty years is a long time to sit in the fallout of your failure. It took two days for him to make that happen. And then off he went. We have to learn the reap-sow principle. If we fail to follow the course of wisdom, then we will suffer. If we fail to study in school, we're not going to get good grades, right? There are consequences. I heard about a kid in geography who handed in a test and then went back to check his work in the book, and then he said a prayer, Dear God, please make the capital of Michigan Detroit. (laughs) Okay, God's not going to answer those prayers. God's not, forgot to study. Pray that God changes the answer. Yeah, that's not going to work. We reap what we sow. In light of that, jot this down, fear God's warnings. We must fear God's warnings. Um, Parents say all the time, right? We warn our kids. I warned you. I warned you. My parents said it to me, and I'm saying it to my kids. I warned you. Uh, We warn our kids because we love them, but when they don't listen to our warnings, they suffer. And uh, uh, choose to sin, choose to suffer. Without fail, that will be written on the pages of your story. And God will allow consequences into our life. Why? Because, because consequences lead to likeness. God is not a pampering God. Moses is here stuck in the wilderness. He's a nobody. And he blew it. We have to learn the reap principle. We have to fear God's warnings. They put signs up all the time to warn us about things. I love some of the signs that I've seen before. Check this out. There's a warning sign. Caution. Watch for gate arm. Whack. Here's another one. Danger. Propeller, stay clear. Ouch. Here's my favorite one. This is a three-part sign. Danger. Unmarked holes. <laughs> Don't run beware, deep shafts. And then my favorite, don't walk backwards. (laughs) Look at the scenery. I've got to get a video of this. Uh Uh-oh, I got oh. (laughs) And you know they put that sign up. Why? Because people did this, right? Warning. Uh, Hey, if you haven't gotten to the point where you understand that this right here is God holding up so many warning signs in your life, And if you think that these warnings won't apply to you, that you can get away with sin, that that it'll be different in your case, boy, God's trying to tell you, warning, warning, God allowed Moses to murder a guy, run away, hide the guy in the sand. And this is a painful detour in his life. It was not God's will. God is also allowing the Israelites, his people, to remain in bondage. Think about that. I mean, 400 years they've been in Egypt. They've been in slavery for a long time. They're in the wilderness. They're suffering. They're wondering where God is, right? And, and they're doing great. They're praying. They're seeking the Lord. So we have to fear God's warnings. Uh, why? Because, listen, if, if, we fail, if we fail to heed God's warnings, we will reap what we sow. Do you know that God will allow relational fallout into your life if you fail to love. He will. You'll suffer. Your church will suffer. Your marriage will suffer. Your children will suffer. He will allow it if you fail to love as he is commanded. Do you know that God will allow you to suffer financially? There will be fallout if you fail to save, if you neglect to budget, if you don't communicate with your spouse. You will, you will reap what you sow. God will allow that crop to grow up. With your health, if you fail to get your diet under control or your exercise going or to check in with the doctor, God will allow those natural consequences to come up and we will reap what we sow. Do you know that there will be problems if we don't follow God's plan sexually? He will allow us to reap what we've sown. He's allowing our country right now to reap what we've sown. Do you know there are more people than ever before in history? There's, in fact, the population of the world doubled in the last fifty to sixty years. That's how it's an insanely number, insanely high number of people. You would think with all of our learning and all of our technology and all of our people, we'd be smarter in this area, uh, and yet we are the most sexually unhealthy generation that's ever lived. Record high STDs in the U.S and they go up every year. Why? Because we are reaping what we've sown. We are not learning the lessons of history of what happens when you don't do that area God's way. The world doesn't fear God's warnings, but Christians, we have to, because if we choose to sin, we will choose to suffer. Fear God's warnings. Learn the reap-sow principle. Next, seek God's rewards. This is the good news. If you obey, you will be blessed. Uh, The people are praying, they're trusting God's promises, and God will come through for them. It says in verse 28, God heard their groaning. He remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What does that mean? That means that God has made some promises. And Joseph talked about them. Joseph's like, remember, when you guys go up, 400 years from now, when you guys go up, bring my bones with you. What faith? He knew God was going to keep his promises. And if you walk by faith, you will reap what you sow. If you pray by faith, if you obey, even when it's hard, if you don't quit, you will reap what you sow and there will be a harvest of righteousness that comes into your life. Learn the reap-sow principle. Believe God's promises are true. Do you know that Satan, when he tries to tempt you in the desert, he has to accomplish two things. He has to convince you that God's warnings don't apply to you. You won't suffer as God has promised. He needs to convince you of that and he needs to convince you that God's promises don't apply to you. His warnings don't apply to you, and God's promises don't apply to you. God won't be faithful to you. Once he gets those two things nailed down in your heart, he can get you to do anything. Anything. Because you believe you won't reap the bad, and you won't reap the good, so you have to do it some other way. That's the lie. But if you follow God's way, you will be blessed. Think about Job, who suffered so well. And in the end, God gave him twice as much back. His will is to bless you. It pays to be loyal to the Lord, especially when you feel like bailing. I gotta tell you, I'm a Sox fan. And I'm a loyal Sox fan. I even wear the hat, uh, even though they've let me down. And um, I need to tell you that I'm long-suffering in that. So earlier this week, I went to Home Depot, and I had a cart full of stuff, fall decorations, grass seed, because my grass died, you know, in the 90-degree heat. Uh, so I had my cart all full. And then I walked up to the cashier, and there was this nice lady. Her name was Linda. She was, like, in her mid-60s, and she was very sociable. And she was like, hi, how are you doing? And I said, I'm doing great. And then she started pulling this stuff out of my cart, and she pulled out, like, this mini hay bale or whatever, and she goes, oh, do you know these are $2 cheaper at Menards? I was like, <laughs> she's like, you want me to put that back for you? I'm like, yeah, I guess so. And then she reaches and pulls out these other things and she's like, Oh, these these are these are two for one at Jewel. <laughs> I'm like, okay. And then she like comes around and then starts going through my cart, and she's like, Yeah, you know, Michaels has 50% off on all their Halloween stuff right now. You get the app, you get 60% off. She's telling she's like, Do you go to Costco? And I'm like, Yeah. She's She's basically saving me $50, right, on everything that's in my cart. She's going through it all. And so when she gets done, I've got like one thing left in my cart. I'm like, all right. And so she rings it up. And then as I'm leaving, I'm like, thanks, Linda. And she goes, aren't you glad you wore your socks hat today? Which means Linda doesn't share her expertise with just anyone. Had I been wearing a different hat, I would have been uh, not assisted, as I was. <laughs> it's a funny example of how my loyalty paid off, right? My, my loyalty to the socks, and Linda's helping me, which is kind of cute. But I think that does illustrate something that's true spiritually. Uh, there, there, is a, there is a favor. There is a reward. There is a blessing. There is, uh, there is so much that God has for you when you stay faithful to him. How great is your goodness which you have stored up for those who fear you. That's what the Bible says. Why does he even store it up? He's going to give it? Why does he just give it? Yeah, like you do that with your kids. I give them everything, every, you know, whatever they want. I give it to them right away. Right. No, you don't. And God doesn't pamper us. He stores up his rewards and he gives us time to prove faithful. Hey, I don't know right now what you're suffering through. I don't know what is delaying you or making you wait, but hey, maybe you feel like it isn't paying off to do it God's way. You're wondering if this is worth your time and effort. Uh, Do not give up. Do not. I wouldn't want to spend a year in that wilderness. Imagine if Moses gave up. 40 years. Wow. Learn the reap sow principle. Fear God's warnings Seek God's rewards. Uh, God is hearing the prayers of his people, and the earth is about to quake in response. And then write this down own your actions. You have to learn the painful lessons in the desert. This is, again, it's not like Moses gives us the list of five things he learned in the desert. But when he goes back to Egypt, he's a new man. Okay? Uh, he, he's gotten his murder under control, still struggles with his temper. That got him in trouble later. But we see a new man, we see a guy who's been refined. You have to own your own actions and learn the lessons in the wilderness. Own your actions. You have to get to a place of repentance where you trust the Lord's timing. Uh, I shared this a few weeks ago and a lot of people asked me for it, so I'm going to throw it back up there again. But when it comes to learning your lesson and truly repenting, here's a chart. Don't feel the need to write all these down. They'll be available online if you watch this sermon again. But here's signs of false repentance that you're not learning the lessons of the desert. If you're meaning the desert's your fault, meaning you blew it, okay? Uh, If you're telling part of the truth, lying about your behavior, punishing people for holding you accountable, blaming others for your mess, making people feel sorry for you, protecting your reputation, uh, applauding your own effort, I'm working so hard to fix, look at all I've done, rationalizing your motives, negotiating consequences and refusing to apologize, you're not repentant. You're not learning the lesson from your sin. Don't accept this from people if this is what they're giving you because their hearts aren't changing. Here's true repentance, telling the whole truth, embracing accountability, taking all blame for your actions, feeling sorry not for yourself but for those you hurt, trusting God with your reputation, offering no excuses, accepting consequences of your choices, applauding Christ's work to forgive, and asking others for forgiveness. Uh, That is telltale signs that you're learning the lesson and the desert is teaching you ownership of your sins. Hey, do you want to find God's plan for your life? you got to learn to wait. Embrace your days in the desert. Be patient and humble. Number two, learn the reap sow principle. Fear God's warning, seek his rewards, and own your actions. Let it change you. And number three, jot this down, expect to encounter God. Expect to encounter God. And finally, I'll read verse two to you. You've waited well. It says in verse 2, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight while the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. We're just going to talk about that. We're going to spend like three more weeks in front of the bush. But in the desert, expect to encounter God. Moses encountered God through this wonder of a a bush that burns, but it didn't burn. So I love this story. There's an 80-year-old guy in the desert, and a bush catches fire, and it burns, but it doesn't burn. Like, it's a different kind of fire. God knows how to get a guy's attention. When I was a kid, I loved fire throw sticks in the fire, roast marshmallows on the fire. I once started a prairie on fire down the street from my house. I got a little carried away. Dad had to run down there and put out the fire, and I learned how to be a little more healthy. But all kids seem to kind of love fire. They're just so mesmerized by it, right? They walk up there. And so God gets Moses' attention by lighting this bush on fire in a miraculous way. Then the bush talks. And I'm picturing this 80-year-old guy looking at this bush, and then it talks. I mean, If that was me, I'd be like, well, there goes my mind. (laughs) There's a talking bush over there, and no one around. Nobody will believe me. (laughs) The sheep are here, but they won't say that it's true. So there's a talking bush. This is really funny. A bush on fire talking to an 80-year-old guy and calling him by name. Fire, why fire? Why a burning bush? Why didn't God just show up? Well, fire symbolizes God's presence. So in the Bible, when there's fire, it can symbolize God's presence. We learn a lot, a lot about God. Just from, just from this part where the bush talks, we learn so much about God, which is why we're just camping on this for a little bit. Um, we learn that God wants to meet us, that he sees us and he cares before he shows up and calls our name. We learn that God can reveal himself to us personally. Uh, and so the question then is, where do I find proof of God's presence and power? Well, in the desert. So first, God needs to lead you out to a trial, to a wilderness, to a valley, to a place you don't want to be. You'll find proof of his presence and his power in the desert. In Hosea two fourteen to 15, it says this, reflecting on this time much later, therefore behold, God says of his people Israel, I will allure her, and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. There she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. This is God reflecting back on what he did to the uh, Israelites. And listen, it says God is pl- setting up this thing. It says, I will allure her. He talks about Israel as if she is his bride. I will allure her. That means kind of like like, flirt and and draw. I will lovingly draw her, you know, like, uh, where? Where? sounds like you're taking her on a date somewhere. Where? Into the wilderness. Hey, want to go on a date? Sure, where? The wilderness. And then what happens? I will speak tenderly to her there. Do you see how God loves us? I will lovingly, lovingly draw this person out into a season of hardship and waiting, and pain, there I will speak tenderly to them. Do you see his love? God meets us in a special way in our pain. He does. He's planting vineyards and opening doors. He's doing all of this in the wilderness. And he's so excited about it. And we're like, rah. Expect to encounter God when you're going through a trial. But, jot this down. We learned several things about God. Jot this down. He must reveal himself. You can't force it. He He must show up. And you, your job is to invite him to show up. He has to reveal himself. We learn here that he did. He revealed himself in the form of a burning bush. Okay, you're not going to get that. Don't even ask for it. God's not going to. Don't be like, I want the butane bush. I want the pyrotechnic. Set something on fire, God. Okay, you're not going to get that. But God will reveal himself to you. He'll do it in many ways. He wants you to learn about him. We learn through the bush that he is holy. He's different than you. God is a consuming fire. The idea of this bush that transcends the natural law of order means God is holy. He's something other than what he created. He transcends it entirely. He rules the rules. A bush that doesn't need anything to burn, that just keeps burning, shows us that the life of God is similar. He's eternal. He just is he, he lives, and he doesn't need anything to fuel his life. God is ever-existing, and he's self-existent. When you strip away everything in the whole universe, you pull the stars out of the sky and fold up the planets, and if you were to successfully get rid of everything material, uh, the world will tell you there's nothing behind that. But the Bible will tell you that there's everything behind that because there is a holy Awesome, eternal God who has always been. There's really no such thing as nothing. People say, the universe came from nothing. I don't even believe in nothing because I think there's been a holy God forever. We can expect to encounter him, but he must reveal himself, and he does here. And he teaches us things about himself. He's eternal, he shows that he's omnipresent. He's with you wherever you are, you're not alone. All the seasons of your life, God is with you. Middle, show that picture again. Show that picture of the wilderness. There, He's there. He's there. Nobody's there. God is there. He's everywhere. He's omnipresent. He's with you. Um, he's also omnipotent. He commands all nature. He's in charge of everything material, which means he's stronger. Listen, he's stronger than all of your fears. He's in control of everything you're worried about. He is. And he he wants to reveal this to you. So here's the billion-dollar prayer when you're going through a trial. You don't say, get me out of this. You say, Lord, use this to reveal your presence. Use this to reveal your power. That'll get answered. He will manifest himself and reveal himself in your pain. Jot this down, he must reveal himself. Jot this down, he knows you. He knows you. He calls Moses by name. He's omniscient. He knows everything about everything and that includes everything about you. He knows your past. Why do you think Moses hid his face from God? See, when God showed up, I don't think Moses' first thought is, God finally found his man. Where have you been all this time? give me my mission. What did he think? I'm dead. I'm dead. I'm a murderer. I mean, I escaped Pharaoh. I thought they were going to catch me and that didn't happen. But now God found me in the middle of nowhere. How did he find me? And he's afraid. He's afraid of the presence of God. And God talks to him about the murder. All right. I don't know what you did 40 years ago, but God knows it all. He knows it all. He's omniscient. He can tell you everything about your past, everything about your present, everything about your future. Let that soak in. He knows you. Expect to encounter God, but he must reveal himself. Good news is he knows you. And jot this down. You have to hear the warning and the welcome. When the Lord saw, it says, God called to him out of the bush. Moses Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Warning, warning, you are in the presence of a holy God. Do you see the tension of the welcome? Because there's the bush. God put that there as a welcome, like, come check this out. Welcome, welcome. And then as he came, warning, Do you see that tension? Hear the warning and the welcome. Warning is there's a big problem that prevents you from approaching a consuming fire. All right? He he wanted, and God wants you to know this uh, you coming into God's presence in your sin is a fatal mistake. You're not welcome in His presence in your sin. He has to allow it and make provision. And in this case, He said, Take your shoes off, bow down. This is holy ground. He allowed that show of reverence and obedience, and then he let Moses stay for a little bit. All through Exodus, we'll be learning about how God is welcoming people back into his holy presence, something we lost in Eden. But we have to hear the warning. If you think you could just go as you, well, God doesn't make no junk, I'm gonna go right as I am to the Lord, and God loves me, just, uh, no. Nobody is welcome in God's presence as is. We need to be made new. We need to be made new and if we can't get totally transformed we'll never be welcomed into his presence, right? We have to hear the warning and the welcome. The welcome is we're invited to draw near. The warning is not your way. We know where this is all leading that the ultimate invitation into God's presence is named Jesus. Maybe you're like, oh, "I wish I saw a Bush. I wish God talked to me." Yeah, he did. He revealed himself fully in the person of Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Nobody in this room will ever get into God's presence without God's Son. If on Judgment Day you walk into God's presence without God's Son, you will be thrown out of God's presence into fire for eternity. Warning, warning, warning. Do not come near me like that. Please hear the warning. But the welcome." The welcome is he calls him by name, Moses, and God is calling you to follow him, and he's meeting you. Maybe some of you, he's meeting you in your pain, in the desert, in the weight. You can't believe where God has driven you in life, and yet he's meeting you there. What a powerful thing to encounter the living God in the desert. Do you want to know God's plan for your life? Embrace your days in the desert. Be patient and humble. Learn the reap principle, fear his warning, seek his rewards, and own your actions, and expect to encounter God. He must reveal himself, but he knows you, and he is welcoming you and warning you at the same time. I'm intentionally taking this passage slow, because I want you to reflect on what God is teaching us through Moses' life. The bush just started burning, and it just started talking. And that's as far as we're getting this morning. Because I want you to imagine what it was like for Moses. Imagine what it was like for Moses 40 years of nothing. His people are in slavery. He's done nothing. God's done nothing. He's alone. It's over. And Imagine what that feels like. Put yourself in his shoes. And then after 40 years, suddenly God shows up. Wow. And Moses has no clue what's about to happen. And we're pausing right there we are sitting in that moment so that we can relate to Moses I'm going to invite the worship team out right now because we're going to end the service in a bit of a creative way they're going to sing a song over us and we're just going to sit and reflect Pastor Mark and I heard this song recently and we said you know what that sounds like it sounds like a lot of things that would be going through Moses's mind when he was talking to God about the future mission. So listen, here's what I'd like you to do while the worship team sings this song. I'd like you to reflect. I'd like you to reflect on how God is leading you. If you're in a desert, even better, because you know exactly what it's like to be Moses. But listen, this is a song about a God who is always there. Maybe you need to reflect on that. This is a song about a God who calls us to follow him. This is a song about the wonder of following a good God who is faithfully leading us on his mission even when we don't know it yet. And this song describes what it should be like to follow God. It says it should be like we're stepping in his shadow. We're so close to him. Let me just exhort you as you reflect on where Moses was to follow God so closely in the desert because he's leading you somewhere and he is about to do amazing things.